Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Strength and Speed owner and Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. I've got a guest on the line with me. Before we get to him, though, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Rapid Reboot. Rapid Reboot are those compression recovery pants you may have seen me using during OCR America 2, or you may have seen some of the other CTG pros using them, like Randy Lackey and Jay Flores. So essentially, they compress, inflate by zones, help circulate your blood, allows you to recover while laying completely still. If you have the money to buy them, I highly recommend them. They are, they're, not, they're not the cheapest recovery product, but I do think they are the best. Right? So they usually come in, depending on which feature and package you get, it comes in a little over $1,000. But they're very, very good. And if you're spending all this money on racing and traveling and competing, you may want to consider spending a little bit extra on recovery so you can perform at your best. All right, let's get to today's guest. So today joining us on the podcast, we have Brett Stewart. Brett, say hi. <laughs> hi. So if you don't know Brett Stewart, he's the co-founder of Mud Run Guide and has been involved in a lot of pretty much everything on the backside of OCR. So I didn't, give, I didn't have you send over a bio, but why don't you share some of the fingers, uh, some of the places you have your fingers in in the OCR world there. <laughs> uh, um, well, I think you, you definitely know it, but we'll share it for, for everyone if you don't know me. Um, I actually wrote the book on the sport back in 2012. Uh, I was an ultimate obstacle race training. Uh, it was just a right place at the right time. I was uh, heavy into writing fitness books and I was really interested in writing a triathlon book because I was totally head over heels in love with the world of triathlon. And um, my editor was interested. So I said, hey, what about this, this tough mud thing that's going on here? Well, maybe we can do that because I've never, I have no idea what you're talking about, man. I've never heard of it. And he took about uh, three days to look up Tough Mudder and wrote me back and said, listen, that is going to be the next big thing walk, don't run to your keyboard and start writing that book. And uh, it was fun. Uh, all of 2011, it was the longest I ever had to uh, research a book. So all of 2011, I uh, was at these events that were just going on. And, and I guess we're going to talk in a little bit about uh, the, the Wild Women Timber Challenge. And that kind of brings me back to uh, uh, Lozaloo uh, Women's Only Race. It was one of the first races that I actually got to not really race direct, but I got to build with them and I got to learn a lot about it. So I had come from the world of uh, putting on marathons and triathlons and road races and to be able to, um, you know, really get dirty, quite dirty <laughs> and put on a mud event, just changed my world. And that's kind of what got me into uh, obstacle course racing. And then from there was again, right place, right time with Mud Run Guide launching that in February of 2012. Uh, skyrocketed to the highest trafficked website in the world for the sport. And um, also stumbled right into uh, becoming great friends with, uh, with Adrian and one of the four guys that sat down and uh, came up with the OCR World Championships. So I've been doing that for, uh, what are we on, year six or seven now, whatever it is, uh, one, two, three, so, so it would be year seven this year. And uh, the last year I've been uh, re-implemented as the race director uh, for those events. So yeah, my, my world is all about obstacle course racing and uh, 
we, my wife and I even have our own small uh, event business. We put on uh, kids races and private, um, private group obstacle course races as well. So been extremely busy doing that for the last, uh, last eight years. It's kind of I'm one of those people that all of my eggs have been in this basket. So uh, I know our conversation is going to revolve around what has happened over the last few months. Um, but it's been, uh, it's been a wild one for all of us, but it's been especially difficult for those like myself who are, you know, just, just all into the sport. Yeah, I hear you. And it's funny, actually, I'd never heard that story about you writing your, the first book on uh, obstacle course racing because my, my, my uh, book on the competitive side of the sport is like basically the exact same story. I emailed a, a publisher and I was like, hey, I have this book on strength training and endurance training that like I do a lot of and uh, you know, I want to know if you're interested in publishing it. And they were like, nah. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, enough of those. I was like, I also do this thing called obstacle course racing, which I just got involved in uh, fairly recently but I seem to be doing pretty good at it. Uh, how about that? And he's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm interested in that. And I was like, all right. Yeah. And like, I, I, you know, I went from having like, you know, I was going to do like something like five races that year. And I like changed it to like 15. I was like, well, I need to, I need to do more. So I know all like the little nuances and, you <laughs> well, know, just for, for you 15 races is a weekend though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What was, what was interesting was, you know, I really started paying attention, you know, I'd watch the other elites go through obstacles and really kind of like nitpick and break down their performances on what was making them fast. And um, I mean, as people know, the, you make the majority of the race up running, right? Like the faster runner you are, the more ground you'll gain. But it was pretty interesting to see like breaking apart techniques for individual obstacles and like, mm -hmm. you know, what saves a second or two here and, or a little bit of energy here. And um, that's how I energy is the biggest part. You know, not only the energy, but just the, the abuse you know, something as simple as, as a wall, if you smash your shin on it, you're slow for the, the rest of the race is going to suck. Yeah. So, so technique is, is huge in obstacle course racing. It doesn't have to be. I mean, like you said, you can be a really fast runner and do exceptionally well. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's some fantastic runners out there like uh, Max King. Um, Max won the back-to-back, -back, um, what was it, Warrior Dash World Championships. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, and the funny part is Max is a long-distance runner. So for him to just crush that 5K race, it just showed that having explosive speed. And you got to remember, this is a race that, you know, you had Ryan Atkins and other guys out there. And I was there uh, both years, and it was just crazy to see the lead that Max could put on people from being just an explosive runner. And he's not great at obstacles. But he's light. He's you know he's light. He's incredibly fit and strong, and the, you know the running obviously makes a huge, huge piece of it. I guess when you take the um, any of the heavy lifts out of a out of a race, you know somebody yep. like Brian Atkins, as fit and fast and fabulous, I guess if we're gonna be alliterative with this, um, as he is, um, he needs you know he's blazingly fast, of course. But you know comparing him to a world class runner, he needs the. Uh, the strength obstacles to really even out the, uh, you know, the pack. Yeah. I mean, I was at the first year of Warrior Dash World Championships and there's nothing just like anyone else who knows that's run a Warrior Dash. There's nothing to really slow you down. It's mm -hmm. like speed bumps. So right. you know, there's no rig, there's no yeah. heavy carry. I mean, there's really nothing you can even fail. I mean, well, the only fail that happened, well, you, were you there in 2015 or just 14? Uh, just 14. I was in Lebanon in 2015. Oh, okay. Because uh, 14 was, was crazy. The first, first time at that venue, I had no idea that there was a like legit haunted house on that venue, which, which was, I thought was really interesting. 
Um, but anyways, aside from, aside from that part, I thought that the only thing that was possible to fail um, in year two uh, came into play for the women's race, and that was the quagmire-thick mud. Um, we're talking... Oh, oh it's awful. What was the name of that... Um, what was the name of that town? Um, I know it's not gonna, my brain's not going to work. It was, it was in Tennessee, though, right? Yeah, it was the same place where Tough Mudder does their, used to do their events in Tennessee. I can't remember. It's some, somebody's farm. Somebody's yeah, farm. Yeah, um, but yeah, blue something. Yeah, but the, the crazy part is uh, in 2015, uh, this is going to kill me because I can't think of her name right now, um, but the, the same woman who destroyed the field in, um, in 14 and won it overall. I can see her face, and I can't think of her name right now, um, but also world-class runner. But she, um, she killed it in 2014. In 2015, uh, Max had already won again. So I was you know, in the middle of filming it for Mudrun Guide saying, boy, we're going to have you know, the, a repeat for the men's and women's. And I'm, the words are coming out of my mouth as she sprints towards the first mud pit, comes off the top of a berm and jumps both feet first into the mud pit, goes up to her armpits and is stuck. Oh. She's stuck. She was stuck there for a, at least a minute and a half. And um, one of her great friends, one of her, uh, one of her um, you know, fellow competitors and good friend of hers from, uh, she was uh, big into steeplechase. I, I can't, once again, for the life of me, can't think of her name. But one of her, you know, uh, close friends was well over a minute behind her, and just standing there and watching her fight and just be stuck in the mud for you know her, her friend to come over and just jump. She jumped farther to the other side of the pit, crawled out, and walked away with thirty thousand dollars. Oof! Uh, yeah, those are some huge prizes for that. A five. Yeah, that, that was um that was something else. You know they um. They did that the first year, and I was working with them a, a lot. I really liked uh, like Ryan. I liked the entire crew up there a lot. So I'd go up to Chicago once a year, and we'd talk. We'd you know sit down, have sushi, and just talk about the state of affairs for events. And um, I remember telling them, I, 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 actually, I did this a couple of years. So listen, it's all fine and dandy that you guys are doing this race, but it's you're, you're putting out one hundred fifty thousand dollars to put this race on for for a very small number of people. And with a huge price burst, why don't we, um, why don't we, meaning uh, adventure, uh, why don't we create a world championships for you or, or roll your world, world championships right into the U.S. champs, which we had for the year in Texas. Um, yeah, there just might have been a little hurricane that affected that one um, or into like what Noram became. But, you know, that was a tremendous amount of money. Uh, a lot of resources put into, uh, put into that. The, um, you know, the, the very first one, you know, it was up in um, Northern California, actually. So right, Northern, California. Yeah. You know what? I, I'm wrong. It was Northern California was 2014, and then 15 and 16, I think, were in Tennessee. It was just, um, it was just they just did it two years. It was 14 in California, 15 in uh, Tennessee. Oh, only that one out in Tennessee, right? Okay. Yeah. 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 I, well, that's true. I remember that's where I met you out in uh, out in California. That's right. That was a field, brother. Oh my God. Yeah, that was so. Uh, my funny story from that, which is actually in my biog my biographical book, Ultra OCR Man, is like I'd been to I think two Warrior Dashes, and then I went to the World Warrior Dash World Championship as my third race. And huh. I show up, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm a pretty fast guy. Let me make my way to the starting corral. And I'm standing there, and all these like 
you know, we're all standing in the starting corral and like a, a, a group of guys just cuts the whole line. Yeah. And I was like, who the hell are these guys? Yeah. You know, I'm like yeah. one of them has got a shaved head. He's real skinny. It's Hobie Call. One of them has a Macho Man tattoo, Hunter. And the other one has Olympic rings tattooed on his side. It's Marco yeah. Bedard. And I was yeah. like, Olympic rings, huh? Guess we're pretty serious now. <laughs> so anyway, Actually, the last guy, the last guy to cut the line, the very, very, very last person to line up for that race was Ryan. Because yeah. I had gone out to lunch or dinner with him the night before, and uh, he was he was hanging back. He'd never walked into the. Uh, oh, um, Bracken was there too. Yeah, Jung Yang Pak was there too. Yeah. I mean, obviously Max K. It was it was like everyone. I mean, it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a blast. I thought I was. I, speaking of joining, I was I was totally on on his team. I thought that that would be a race that he could do exceptionally well in. Um, but when you really stop and think about it, that's uh, you know uh, that's the type of race that really rewards somebody like Max the most. Yeah, I I mean I, I so I I didn't know much about the sport at that point, and I remember thinking. You know, I knew Jung Young Pack and I knew uh, Ryan Atkins had won World's Toughest Mudder. And I was like, well, surely you can't be good at every distance, right? Like, <laughs> you can't be good at 24 and 5K. That's insane. And, um, yeah, no, you can be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, absolutely. Um, I was uh, following Max the other day on, um, on uh, Facebook, and he was saying the FKT he just did. I can't remember, but, I mean, you know, just – these amazing world-class athletes who I, I, by the way, I put you in that that category as well because there's no one on this planet that does some of the stuff, that, <laughs> does a lot of stuff that you do to the way that you do it. So I've always been thoroughly impressed. I'm, re- I'm really glad that I met you out there in, uh, uh, out there in Northern California, in the middle of nowhere, Northern yeah. California. Boy, it was a great venue. That venue was, it was a little dusty, I guess. That venue was, was awesome. It was wide open. Um, it was just so far from everything. That was the uh, the downfall of that. Well, yeah. I mean, the downfall of it from uh, races being able, uh, events being able to put uh, put on races there. I guess it's just you know, it was way outside the uh, the city of Sacramento. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. so what are we so, doing now? Oh yeah, this obstacle <laughs> course racing thing. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, I wanted to bring Brett on the podcast, one, because he's been involved in the industry for a long time. Two, like you said at the beginning, you have everything invested in this industry. And, you know, as an athlete, I invest a lot of time and energy and resources and, you know, money also into the industry. But, you know, at the end of the day, I have an outside job that's paying me. (laughs) And What's that that like? Wait, wait, you get a paycheck? Wait, (laughs) I have no idea what that is. (laughs) So, you know, if, if uh, you know, speculating or well, this is what we're going to talk about, you know, if, if OCR just suddenly closed shop, everything disappeared tomorrow, I'd still be fine, right? Like, it, I'd be emotionally upset because I feel like I've invested so much time into this um, that, but, you know, financially, my family and everything is fine, right? It's, it's no big deal. So I, I we all have a, have a world outside of OCR. Uh, I think... I am, and I maybe I'm I'm not the the person that I think I am when I make this statement, but I think that I'm probably one of the most invested people in the business because you know they're not only from you know from books and from Mudrun Guide and from the World Champs and from you know on our own uh, race courses. Yeah, it is what I do 100 percent of the time. If you look at somebody like uh, you know like 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 Adrian with the World Champs, but he has a really you know 
he's got a really intense full-time job as well. Um, but in my case, you know, being a serial entrepreneur usually means that you find something and then you double down and you triple down and, you know, I've kind of, you know, I've invested in the sport so that it's every part of my life. Now, I've had multiple businesses in the past. If this goes by the wayside, you know, I'm going to be fine. I'm a graphic designer. I can go back to doing that. I was, I was director of engineering, uh, you know, for a bunch of years. I have no issues with, you know, with changing up, but I don't think that we're in a position where we need to worry about that. I really, truly don't. Um, even when this, you know, so if, if we go back, let's just go back four months, uh, four months ago, please. No, I'm serious. Can we please? Um, when we go back four months ago, um, at the, um, the middle of February, even like I back up even in January, but by the middle of February, um, our um, event business, uh, Adventure Fitness, is the uh, the side business that my wife Kristen and I own. We put on, uh, we build race courses, permanent courses, but we also do uh, schools and group uh, group races and all that sort of stuff. So, for Adventure Fitness, um, we we I was so busy with requests. I, if I go back and look at them now in my email, it makes me sick. But I was so busy with requests. Um, throughout the month of February for people that wanted events all over the country in every shape and size you couldn't imagine. Um, it was um, the National Guard. It was uh, Chamber of Commerce. It was this technology company. It was this school all over the country. And it got to the, it was almost a joke where I turned to Chris and I'd be like, um, <laughs> guess, guess how many we got today? And then, um, then we started, we started putting on the first few events of the year when everything, you know, Kablooey. Now, I look at that and I say, I know that at least a significant portion of those people are still interested in having events. Will that be this year? Will that be next year? I know that I've got to, you know, everything's going to be pushed off. And I know that there's not going to be a flip of a switch where we go right back to the way things were going to happen. We're all, we're all on that page. Uh, I think anyone who thinks, who thinks that it's going to just magically go away is, you know, is, is probably not in touch with reality. That being said, at some point, events are coming back. Now, what will that event look like? We're learning. You know, to be honest, obstacle course racing was the best example for what we're going to do in a world post-COVID because obstacle racing didn't exist. Obstacle racing was put together. It was cobbled together. It was, it was boy, this works over here, a little bit of this, let's throw in some mud. So obstacle course racing is the perfect basis for a, an event that'll pick back up. Now, will it be different? Sure. Will it be great? Absolutely. Um, I'm thrilled because, like I said earlier, I was in the right place at the right time for multiple pieces of this sport. I, once again, I didn't create the sport. I just happened to be there to, uh, to you know, either report it or latch onto it. Um, but that was awesome. There is going to be another wave of that. That's going to happen again. Now, will the race look a lot more like, I don't know, I'm going to, let's just say a bubble fest. Obviously, it's probably a really bad example. But what will the race look like? Will it be this? Will it be that? I don't know. But I'm here. I'm ready. We're going to be there to witness it all over again. Now, maybe it'll be different. Who knows? You know, um, with something where you had a fixed, you know, triathlon can't change that much. Marathons can't change really at all. Obstacle course racing changes every single event. So from year to year, from race to race, from county to county, every obstacle, obstacle race is, is different. 
I mean, you know, you've, you've, you've done uh, more internationally than, than I have. And they're all different. They all have their own flavor. And I think that post, um, I don't even want to call it post-COVID. What should we call it? I've been using post-quarantine because COVID is not gone. So you can't really say post-COVID. Right. And, but the quarantine, COVID, I mean, people yeah. essentially have given up on quarantine. Whether that's the right or wrong decision, that's another topic. But yeah. it's, we'll, call it P, we'll call it PQ then. <laughs> But yeah, um, so it's not dead, it's not buried, and if anything, um, it shows the resiliency of obstacle course racing and obstacle course racers, um, that the people that, I hate to use this term, but I'm going to, the people that survive it, the businesses that survive it, because it's life or death for some, for some businesses. Um, but if you stop and think about it, granted, we're seeing, we're seeing the life cycle of these races um, concatenated into three months. Whereas the life cycle for other races used to be, you know, two years. Um, when I wrote Ultimate Obstacle Race Training, I outlined 30 different races, um, 30 different event, whatever, most races that uh, existed at the time. And I want to say Savage, Rugged, and Spartan are the only ones that still exist. So three out of 10, uh, three out of 30, so 10% of the races still exist. So 90% of those races that, and by the way, I was looking at hundreds of races and the 30 that I chose were ones that I thought would survive. Wow. So, you know, the 27 of those that went poof, you know, some went, some went, went belly up in the second year. Um, and we can get into a long diatribe on that, which I'm not going to. But um, you know, they all—they were all death by expansion or you know, death by um, bravado. I think uh, that kind of killed a lot of those races. But realistically, to look at that list and go, "Wow, <laughs> even Warrior Dash is gone." Even for you know, for lack of a better, better, uh, well, whatever you want to call that, Tough Mudder is is Tough here. But it's, it's gone. Tough, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it was gone. It, it's yeah. Tough Mudder's gone, but it was bought yeah. out and yeah. re, reincarnated. Yeah, and, and Warrior Dash is, is, is gone. I don't. I really don't see um, Spartan bothering with that. Um, I don't think so. Yeah, I, I mean, so. there's there, there, it's a way too heavy of a lift for them to, and it's too bad too because it was a property. Well, I guess that's kind of what happened when we bought out um, when Mudder had bought out uh, Mud Adventure. The the lift to keep that property going was outweighed by the uh, amount of work that it would take, but also, uh, you know, just really kind of taking a, you know, a competitor, annexing that space, utilizing it for a brief period of time, and then just putting it out to pasture. And that's really what, what Spartan was doing. It was best for them to, uh, to buy it, take it up, you know, get it for pennies on the dollar, and, um, and then in turn kind of just set it adrift. Now, they can always, you know, they can always spin it up if they if they want another brand. But I think it's too close to uh, to their brand for them to even want to do that. Plus, it's not in Joe's wheelhouse to do anything that isn't spe specific to his brand. You know, yeah. he he loves staying on brand. He, you know, he. Well, anyways, we can go on and on about that. But anyways, back to what I was saying. Of thirty races that I covered, pretty pretty much in depth, only three really still exist. So. Um, that's happened over the past eight years. Most of that happened in the first you know, three or four years. There was plenty of that went on for a while. But we're seeing you know, uh, the races right now, 
that you know got crushed in the last few months. Interestingly enough, it's only been a few months. So unless they um, unless they had a lot of money invested in um, you know in this year's whether they bought a lot of equipment, whether they you know just just bought the t-shirts and rentals and everything else for events and then got crushed. I mean every every race is you know one or two horrible events away from um, from going out of business. I mean that it's just the way that the the sport is. You can't. You know, it's, a, it's such a huge investment. It's a, you know, it's a hundred thousand dollars to put on a race. Anyone who doesn't think so is not putting on a big enough race. But it's a hundred grand. You know, sometimes up to three hundred grand to put on a race like this. And um, you know, back in the day, I don't know if you remember, um, um, Superhero Scramble was such a huge uh, race company. You know, they were fast. You know, Sean ran it fast and loose, and Ace was a really good guy and everything. And interesting character uh, unfortunately passed away but his um his race was super duper popular and there would be so many people that would participate i mean it was it was the type of thing he'd roll in and he'd do ten thousand on saturday and another seven thousand on sunday really great numbers but it was really high expense and uh back to back to back was three events in a row where he got hit by Mother Nature. Mother Nature just said, hey, <laughs> you're done. And he got hit with uh, you know, uh, thunder and lightning. He literally almost got hit. Somebody on his, on his team got hit with, hit with lightning, survived. And, uh, and he, was, you know, he was shocked by it as well. But he had all his tents get ruined uh, one week. Uh, the next week, you know, the venue was underwater and they had to cancel. And then the third week, all of his tents got ruined again. I mean, it was just one of those things where you're just bleeding, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. And then, you you know, you lose an event. There's, you know, dollars $60,000, $70,000, $80,000 worth of income that you don't get. And you've already paid all the venue fees and everything. It was just, it was crazy. The poor guy um, was in a situation that a lot of races find themselves in. And, uh, you know, that's the history of obstacle course racing. That's the history yeah. of any big event, you know? So the kind of backing up a little bit, you know, my, you know, when the quarantine first hit and, you know, events started getting canceled and postponed, I was like, all right, you know, we'll make it through. And then I'd say my first time I was really concerned about the future of the sport in general was I went into the world's toughest mudder community and several of the people in there were like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not racing anymore this year. And it like, you know, I know, the 10%, the people who run the elite waves, they're coming back once races are open and you're, they're allowed to be competitive, right? Those people are coming back. There's another, you know, a lot of the followers of Muttering Guide are coming back. It's the other, like, 80% of the people I was worried about. Yeah. And the, you know, seeing some of the people of World's Toughest who are supposed to be, like, the hardcore, um, I do OCR, specifically Tough Motive, regardless, um, seeing them get scared away uh, caused me, like, to raise a raise a, a point of concern and then i started thinking about through a lot of the you know the just the the whole situation right you know like if you're an event an event company um and you're used to making i don't know i'm just gonna pull a complete number sure. out of my butt here right if you're used to making fifteen thousand dollars every race um for yourself and all of a sudden that gets cut into you know a third of what it used to be you know, it, it would be like me going to my job and being like, no, no, I'll take a, a third of my normal paycheck. That's right. cool. Yeah. Um, and I'm just worried, you know, from my perspective, I'm worried that, you know, it's not that companies aren't going to make money and they're not going to put on events because I think the events that are on the calendar, I think those are going to happen uh, regardless once all the restrictions are lifted. 
It's that the companies will see how much they're pulling in for profit and they're like, well, you know what? It was a good run. Uh, this is no longer worth my time. I'm going to go get a, a job <laughs> doing something else. I think that's my, that was my big concern. And, and like what I said earlier with, you know, the what obstacle course racing is going to become, we don't know yet. So I look at it, the, the, I think the, the races, you know, granted, if people are, if it, you're, you're broke, you're broke. You, you know, you're, uh, when, when I was a kid and, and, you know, we didn't have enough money to make ends meet, my dad went out and got a night job working at a, uh, you know, at a, a, a plant. You know, it, it's the way, the way the world is. So if these events don't have the capital to continue, well, then they're going to have to, you know, get out of the business. But those that leave because of fear that it's, there's not going to be an OCR version two, I think that's where they're, you know, that's where where the potential is for us to really, to really lose out. And I don't mean just them. I mean the public for all of us to lose out on races because you know because people say you know what uh, monetarily this isn't this this doesn't work anymore. And I hate to say it this way, but that's kind of you know that's that's what Warrior Dash did. Warrior Dash looked at the numbers and said, oh you know um, we're you know we're not making as much as we used to. We could be making more putting on different types of events and they jumped out of it. Um, I, I dare say that wouldn't have been my decision in that place, but of course I wasn't there. But you know, I think, in, and I'll say it this way, I think that the, um, the sport lost out by, by Warrior Dash leaving. I think that, that it, now, now where people, not, people weren't left in the lurch by them you know, going out of, out of business. Um, they did a good job of taking care of people. I just mean having that one more opportunity to have a entry level race. Um, yeah. I think that's, that's where the sport lost. Will the sport lose more races? Yeah. Yeah. But I'll tell you right now, the races that it won't lose are the hyper local ones. The local races are still fine because the local race, especially one that's already been established and had the infrastructure, um, a local race can do 30% of the people that they did last year. Okay. And still survive. Why? Because, well, they're local, you know, um, they're not traveling, they're not, uh, their expenses aren't, aren't exorbitantly high. Um, one of the things that kills, that killed those 20, or 20 of those 27 races that I talked about earlier was they, uh, they, you know, they would chase the dragon. They made fifteen, twenty thousand $20,000 at this event. So they're like, oh, great. I'm going to put on six more events and make $120,000. Well, no, because once you move more than an hour away from home, it's going to be really beautifully expensive. So when you mentioned earlier about, you know, a race looking at the books and going, man, I only made five grand here. It's not about that making that five grand. What it is, is it's, you know, like in the worst case scenario, what happened with Sean or with uh, Superhero Scramble, um, well, what if, what if shit goes wrong? <laughs> you know, what if we, Mother Nature messes with us? I mean, with the, um, with the OCR, what was it? Uh, the, the US OCR championships that we, we put on down in Texas. Uh, I poured, I poured my life. I, I'll tell you flat out, Evan, I was broken after that race. I poured my, my life into that event for four months, worked my little tail off as hard as I possibly could. And we put on, you know, what I thought was one of the best races ever. The course was amazing. I thought that Everything about that race had the potential of really, truly just crushing it. And Mother Nature, in turn, crushed us with Hurricane Harvey. You know, so, so it, uh, 
you know, it just goes to show you that it's not about how much you make from race to race. It's how much um, you can survive when the, when the stuff goes wrong. Because inevitably it does. There's no race out there that can point that can say, "Hey, it's always gone well for us." No, it's always rained every year for the for the OCR World Championships, no matter where we are, what time of the year. It always rains one of the days. So I mean, we're, we've all gotten used to that. But I think you know the sport is the sport's on hold right now. But I don't think that it's dead. I think yeah. that there's still still you know still a pulse. We just have to figure out what that pulse is going to turn into for the long term, you know, health of the sport. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned all those brands that you wrote in that you know that book years ago. Yeah. So you know when I started writing Mud Run Guides Ultimate OCR Bucket List, right? I I started writing it I think in 2015 or 16, and then like I worked on it for a couple months, stopped. You know, wait like a year or two passed by. I worked on it a couple months, stopped. A year or two passed by. And I like every time it like more time passed by a lot. Some of the companies would keep going out of business and I'd be like, mother, because it would create more work for myself. I was like, what am I, you know, I was like, do I delete this? And then I ended up leaving a lot of the the races in there just because I think a lot of them had cool ideas that maybe this brand just didn't do well or the time wasn't necessarily right. You know, like, cause there's been, there's been stuff similar to high rocks and, um, Decafit that you know and before that tmx and before that there was local brands doing stuff like that right. you know that just didn't it didn't take off yeah. um and maybe they didn't have the marketing behind it maybe their event format wasn't right whatever well, the deal like, was you know, people like ocr warrior when i was doing it people didn't i mean that was all you know it was awesome that you got to do it it was really i thought i thought that that was the best ever you would you know uh, evan versus evan that was so much fun i'm so glad actually you know i'm just glad it worked out that way because you had to win the first race to go right. against it so uh, i was really i was thrilled that, that worked out that was that was great but even that, then that was also like my sixth race so if i can get a rematch i would uh, <laughs> if you can set that up i'm down Okay, I, I I wonder how much uh, how much racing Evans done recently. I yeah. actually <laughs> a little bit. I saw him the other day, but he is a uh, he's still as fit as ever. But he's a uh, he's a um, he's writing movie scripts. Oh, so, nice. Uh, yeah, he's a he's he's a we, If you don't know who we're talking about, we're talking about Evan Dollar. He was on Ninja Warrior a couple times. He won the first season of like the reboot of American Gladiators. So thanks. He was yeah. Rocking. But yeah, uh, it's funny because I'm I'm um, really friendly with uh, Dan Nitro Clark from American Gladiators, and he was involved with the reboot as well. So it's always a kind of we talk about something we're like yeah, rocket. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know that also sucks too because we I had a um, you know, a big event planned with uh, with Dan. We were doing a going away party for uh, for Gladiator uh, Rock and Roll. Now um, maybe. Maybe people that are listening don't even know that. But uh, Gladiator Rock and Run was nationwide at one point, really kind of settled into, into Southern California. And, uh, you know, Nitro from American Gladiators was the guy who put it on. And, uh, you know, Danny's been a friend for years. And uh, we, got, we got talking, and I said, hey, you know, you never got a chance to say, to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I think it's kind of, it's, it's done. I'm like, well, well, let's stop for a second. <laughs> you know, Warrior Dash, Warrior Dash had just gone out of business. So that's when we, our conversation started. So Warrior Dash went away. Um, you know, Battle Frog went away. All these races went away. We never got a chance to say goodbye. I will personally put the event on, you know, with your equipment, with you, with, you know, with my staff. I'll put the event on up here in Phoenix. I just want to give a proper going away 
to what was a great race series. And we had that plan. That was supposed to be, uh, what, three weeks ago, two weeks ago? Mm. I don't know. And this, I don't even know what day it is nowadays, but uh, we are still planning. I still, you know, all the equipment is here in Phoenix. <laughs> so that event's going to happen at some point. Um, what's it going to look like? I don't know. But that will be an example of, um, you know, I'm working with, with the, uh, the parks department to see when they'll let me do it. And as soon as they let me do it, I'm going to do it. Um, it's going to be the size it's going to be. It's going to be the type of event that it's going to be. And I want to learn. I, you know, I, I jump into just to these things with both feet. So I want to learn what the event is going to be like by doing it. You know, yeah. I'm, there's no way you can, you can backseat drive, you know, this sport and say, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll let Spartan do six events and see how it shakes out. No, no. Your event is your event. You're going to make it what you make it. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I want people to be safe. I want people to have fun. And, um, you know, when I can, it's going to happen. <laughs> And I love that, the fact that you're going to do a going away event, you know, like, you know, like you said, I think there's, there's, you know, when events just go out of business and there's no warning, you're not, you're like, well, I, you know, I was going to go to that event or I was going to go, you know, I, I wanted to say my last goodbye. You know, I know Shell Hill, when they stopped holding events, they said, you know, our next event will be the last one. So yeah, if you want to come, you know, clear your schedule and come up here and, you know, unlike battle, battle frog was basically like they held an event on Saturday. And I remember waking up Monday and it was like, and we're out of business. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I'm saying with Warrior Dash. And um, so well, I, Warrior Dash killed me because I was friends with those guys. And, uh, you know, I had gotten uh, one, of the, one of the guys that I worked with on, on one of my crews. I had gotten a job there. And I, I really, truly liked Warrior Dash. Of course, you know, they, they still exist because um, Red Frog is still in business doing other stuff. But the you know Warrior Dash team itself, the event production for you know for just Warrior Dash is is gone. But it's just you know it's kind of kind of kind of stuff. But you know um, Battle Frog was one of those really. I worked so hard to try to change Battle Frog's way of thinking. I was I was originally an unhired uh, unpaid consultant. I'd go out and I would sit with them for hours and try to explain why what they were doing was stupid and it just seems like they would they would you know they take my advice and then they go the opposite direction um but but yeah well, but I, I don't want to dive into battle frog too deeply because the next podcast uh that's released and actually i recorded already we have chris accord beard talking about kind of like the history of battle frog and what was going on behind the scenes yeah. so i think people who like backside industry and miss battle frog will really enjoy that one because i thought it came out really good i I will will, will listen to that and cringe the entire time (laughs) so it's pretty interesting um you know it it definitely showed me some more stuff you know that i just didn't realize that was going on behind the scenes so yeah yeah give that a listen he he really knows he really really knows but uh yeah so you know, let's assume, you know, maybe, maybe this next question will be irrelevant in a, you know, a week or a couple months, but, you know, let's assume that a lot of the concerns and restrictions for the spread of COVID still exist. I know at the beginning of quarantine, you put out some ideas and you're like, Hey, here's a way uh, events could go on, you know, using these measures. Um, would you mind sharing some of those with us? They're, they're exactly what Spartan did. <laughs> It's 100% what Spartan is doing right now. Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I'm not even going to pull up the email or pull up the, the list that I posted on Facebook, but I really wanted uh, to get people's advice. Now, I am not for one second saying that Spartan took 
any of those ideas. I'm not. I was just joking. Um, just so happens that they had the same idea that I had. You know, and it really, it's not a big, big surprise. Anybody who, you know, who's, who's hasn't been under a rock the last few months, they're all common sense things. You know, I wanted to do, um, you know, uh, have your own, you know, your own start wave. People, you know, spread out. Uh, I, I figured 10 or 15 feet, but people spread out, showing up at an exact time, starting at an exact time. It's all just, um, you know, either, either head to head ish or, you know, two, three, four people, you know, starting at a, at a time. So not even like you're spread out by 10 feet and you all, all go at once. You're spread out by, by 10 or 20 feet and only three or four of you go every minute. Now, you and I both know with, um, with the World Champs for the, uh, for the, the, the 3K race, that, that corral start like that or that, yep. um, you know, uh, elimination start like that is fantastic. That is, that is so exciting. It's exciting for the racers. Um, it's exciting for the crowd. It's exciting for the announcer. It's a blast. You know, you get to put people out and they're just going, you know, you're, you're only racing against three or four or five or six other guys. And it's awesome. You know, that it really feels like it really makes the individual feel like they are part of a very select group. And I, I dig that. Um, yeah. Time trials start. That's the, that's the word I was trying to go with. Yeah. Time trials have to start. But, um, even, if, even if you're slow, but you're running with, three or four people who are about the same speed as you, it feels yeah. like you're, you're fighting for the top position in the race, even yeah. though you're in 250th place, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, it's true. I remember the very first warrior dash that I did. Um, I was, I was writing the book and I was literally just taking photos for the book. I had no interest in really racing. It looked like a lot of fun, but uh, I had a marathon the following day or something like that. I forget what it was, but I had zero interest in, in, uh, in, um, running the race and I was um, standing off to the back. I said, you know what, I'm going to just throw my shoes on. I'm going to go give it a run. And I came walking up to the line and some guy was, standing. I was the, I'm sorry, the back of the line, the very, very, very back of the line. I don't want to race against anyone. I don't even want to see anyone. I just want to go out, get muddy a little bit. And some dude walked up behind me and he's, and he's like, he's like, Hey, uh, this is going to be going to be nothing for you. And I'm like, what on earth are you talking about? You know, I'm not that fit or anything. There's no reason for you to think that I'm a good athlete. And I and he pointed at the, the Iron Man tattoo on my leg and I was like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> like I guess now now I'm now I'm sunk because now I have to try really hard. I went out and I pushed that uh, that heat and it was a late afternoon heat. I mean we're not even talking about fast people. It was a late afternoon heat and I crushed the heat and I felt like you know, man, I came from the back of the pack and I beat everybody. I feel awesome. And then I thought about it. I'm like, I beat like, you know, you know, a couple of accountants and, and, you know, high school kids and people that didn't care about racing, you know, but, um, but you felt like a champ. You feel like a champ when you race in these little small groups. So I really wanted to do that. And uh, what else? The, um, you know, obviously no, you know, no close, close quarters. Um, really wanted people to have, uh, plenty of space. You know, I think Spartan with their little PVC pipe thing, I don't know if you saw the photos at all, but they had um, like forced lanes when you came to an obstacle. You had to go through this little, um, uh, why am my brain not working right now? You had to go through this little, this little entryway that was made out of PVC pipe. And then, so when you came to a wall, there was only six possible entrances to this wall that's 24 feet wide. So I think that was a little bit much. I don't think that people need to be distanced the entire time. You know, I think that when people are, you know, stagnant at the beginning and end, yeah, 
You don't right. need to be hugging or high-fiving or standing and breathing each other's air, especially, you know, when people are really huffing and puffing. But when it comes to hitting a wall really quick and getting over something, I think that there's less concern. Um, well, I guess I'm playing soccer right now. I'm playing indoor soccer. We started again a few, I started up a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I'm playing an indoor arena against, you know, against other athletes. And we're bumping and we're face-to-face. And I'm really hoping that, you know, I'm safe, but I don't think about it. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. Does that make me stupid, baby? Um, but you know, there's you know a few hundred other people that are playing as well. So maybe we're all being morons, but I'm not as concerned when it comes to you know. I'm more concerned, believe it or not, going to a restaurant and sitting sitting down and having dinner with a bunch of people that I don't know where they've been. Whereas with uh, athletes, especially the athletes I'm playing soccer with. You know they're they're fit and active. I'm, I would like to think that they're being more safe, but maybe as I talk about it, maybe I, maybe I'm going to in the process of talking myself out of it because not, the more that I talk, the less uh, the less salient my points seem to be. But anyways, um, so overall, it, it really is you know kind of what Spartans doing. You know, there's hand washing stations. There's um, you know, they, they ripped out uh, anything that has to do with communal water or communal food and try to limit the amount of places where you're touching the same thing everybody else has touched. Um, now, just over the last few weeks, as the, you know, as the, um, the, um, the WHO and uh, the CDC have kind of said, hey, you know, surfaces really aren't the problem. It's really more um, person to person, you know, from uh, spittle that you have to worry about. Um, you know, in my mind, I would, the first thing I was going to pull would be like a cargo net where all the hands are in the same place. Right. And then I was thinking, well, boy, you know, uh, monkey bars are probably really bad too. And then stop and think about it. You're like, well, everyone touches everything. It's an obstacle race. This is bad. And, um, you know, thinking, right, having, you know, even, even giving everybody, you know, putting five, uh, five hand, um, uh, sanitizer stations on the course, and you say, "All right, there's five courses on uh, five hand, hand sanitizer um, stations on the course that you must go to. You must hit them, and then and then saying, "All right, I'm going to give everybody f- 50 seconds off of their time." You know what I mean? The, one of those things where people can kind of feel, "Oh, well, maybe if I run by real quickly and I and I do my hand sanitizer and I get the okay, you know, kind of like you know, you you would need to have." people checking, kind of like doing your burpees, but I get the okay from the hand uh, cleanliness attendant, you know, they go and, no, maybe you'll book in through there, you do it in three seconds, well, I just picked up a seven second advantage, you know, that sort of thing. So, I mean, just changing the gamesmanship around a little bit, um, but making people um, perform these tasks, I mean, guys, this is obstacle course racing, we make people perform tasks. To perform this additional task should not be a difficult thing. It is not electroshock therapy. It is hand sanitizer. So shouldn't be a big deal. And, you know, different stuff. Like, I, like um, you know, park, uh, parking and arrival would be, a, a, you know, handled a certain way. Um, people would wear masks, uh, you know, right up until the, until the race. Um, you know, we're, we're, this is, once again, obstacle course racing. People race with, you know, with uh, oxygen deprivation masks on. People race with uh, yeah, constantly. People race with uh, with who rags over their over their face. You know, making that mandatory shouldn't be all that difficult. But you know, once again, we'll see. And there's a backlash against doing anything because you know we're 
Americans and that's the way that we work. Right. So, you know, whatever. I think that something will come of it. We'll figure it out. We'll, you know, we'll boil it down to what works. And, um, you know, I think the race directors will just need to use, you know, not leave the common sense that we've had to have had, have had to have had, wow, does that make sense? <laughs> the common sense that we have um, for, you know, for putting on a race to now extending it to, because obviously we care about the safety of our athletes. We just care about it in a different way now. Well, I'm sorry. We care about it in an additional way. Additional way. Yeah. 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 It's pretty funny that you mentioned just like adding in an obstacle. That's like the hand sanitizer obstacle, which is, I mean, it's really genius because people care about their 5k time. Right. And the course like you, if you have someone stop in the middle of a 5k and do hand sanitizer, they're going to be upset because like, Oh, I would lose my life. Yeah. Right. I, I but like think... no one knows what their PR is on obstacle course race right. series, whatever at, you know, it, you know, cause the, the course changes from year to year, the weather changes, the obstacles change. So there's no like PR yeah. really. I mean, you, you, you can kind of compare sometimes, but yeah. And, yeah. So, you know, adding, <laughs> adding in something that's, cleanliness based is yeah completely feasible but that's why you know if you give somebody like a 30 second allotment or a one minute allotment for those extra things now suddenly they see it as a excuse me as a potential bonus or there's the other side of it is you know now people can you know hey i've got i've got a minute that means i can take 10 seconds to catch my breath at each one of these stations you know like running a marathon and you know it's like running a marathon and walking the eighth station you know, you're a really hot, you know, you're a really hot marathon and you need to get your, you know, get your, uh, your body temp back down. You know, that's what you're going to do. You're going to walk at the aid station if you're smart and you're going to dump a couple extra cups on, on top of your head, you know, otherwise, you know, you, I know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I've run in, I've run in Arizona for the last 12 years. I know what happens if you don't get your body temperature down. So one of the other things I was concerned about, you know, is, there's a period, and I, I wrote an article for Mudrun God called uh, It's Complicated, basically why yeah. you can't just shift races around willy-nilly. It's hugely popular, by the way. I oh, love cool. that article. And that, uh, I tell you, that article has, has really gotten some legs. Uh, I've seen it quoted on other, other sources as well. So, oh, no way. Uh, great, great article. Really, really good article. Cool. Well, anyway, if you haven't read that article, I would go give it a read. It just you know, it explains the other side of the story, which you, I mean, you can't just shift things around because that, you know, the, the venue has to approve, you know, you have marketing that goes into it. It's not always, it's not always even just one weekend because sometimes the bill ex- build extends more than seven days. So you actually need two weekends and then you, you got to make sure everything's getting rescheduled. So now like you're cr- trying to cram, you know, like the saying, uh, 10 pounds of shit into a five pound bag. Exactly. It doesn't work. Um, not only that, like you lose, you know, um, my lead builder is, you know, it, it's his kid's birthday. Not this week, because, you know, because the, the, the event was this week. But it's his kid's birthday in three weeks, and now I've got to reschedule the race for that. No, I, I can't. You know, we can only afford so much. You know, I'm races, people love – I'm sorry, let me back up. I hate, to hate starting this off like that. There are a lot of people in the store that think that these races make a ton of money especially like the world championships. Um, and I won't go into it too much about the financials and everything, but um, I've seen many more times than I care to admit where I've been on um, a Facebook page and people have been like, oh, well, you know, if they weren't so, um, so you know, so driven by money and you know, maybe they could spend some of, their, some of the cash that they got from us on blah and blah. 
and I want to lose my mind. I don't say anything. It's not <laughs> but when, when you talk about an event that costs, I'm going to say this really quickly, that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to put on and something changes, something falls by the wayside, I know exactly what it looks like for events to just plummet into the red because so much time and money is spent on it. If, and that's the weird thing about like the world champs. If, if anybody really truly knew, there are 10 people in this world that know how ridiculously expensive and difficult the world champs are. Um, really, I, I'm sorry, maybe, you could, maybe we can explain that to a dozen, but every one of those people um, is blown away every time we do it because we always think that we can do it for you know, 10 or 20 or 30 or $50,000 less than we spent the previous year. And it's impossible because we're dealing with just immovable objects, you know, when it comes to time and when it comes to actually building these things in, in weird places like a mountain or, you know, in London, it's crazy to think of, because what happens like with, with Spartan, they have a kid. They've got three, I think they've got three kids. They may have four kids. I guess if you're including Canada, there's probably even more. But they've got at least three full kits um, that are three trailers or, or more deep. And those travel all over the country. Now, they have an order to what they do. They can build in five days because they have, you know, they've got it down to a science. Where the world championships, that's a, that's a one-off, man. Like right. everything, everything that we do is built then for I don't want to say just for that event because we do use stuff from year to year, but we've got to change it up. It can't be this. I'm, I'm not giving you the same obstacle I gave you last year. So we've got to in turn build new stuff, create new stuff, test out new stuff. And then when we're building it, we change it 17 times. Um, it's not one and done ever. So for the world champs, um, like I'm, I'm out there for 25, 26, 27 dates. You know, this is not a three or five or seven day build. Um, but that being said, those things also are completely immovable. I can't go. Oh, you know what? The weather the weather is going to be is, is horrible this this week. We we uh, we're going to push this off for another couple of days. No, those days don't exist. They're they're not there for any one of the staff. They're not there for you know, for any of the things that we've rented. You know the um, the the scaffolding the scaffolding is 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 uh, delivered back you know, like the day after the event. So when the event finishes, we start breaking that stuff down and we stack it for 12 hours to get it back on a truck because we pay for another day. You know, that's another, you know, few thousand dollars that's just lit on fire. Right. So it's, um, there are a lot of moving parts, more so than anyone would ever think unless you're in that position. And, uh, you know, that's the reason why, like Joe came out, uh, Joe DeSena came out from Spartan and he did that, um, uh, that uh, that video piece talking about, hey man, when you sign up for a race, that money's already spent. And I'll take it one step further. When you sign up for a race, that money's been spent before you signed up for the race. Yeah. You know, I mean, so to put on, a, on, on an event, you know, usually you've got to have, you know, 25, 35, and then we're not even talking world champion numbers. We're just talking smaller events. You've got to have $25,000 in you know, in liquid form that you can afford to lose. You're gambling that money. And that money goes out the door usually before you've come anywhere near that in registration. And the races that I've seen fail are the ones that, it, it is inevitably always happens, are the ones that say, you know what, we're going to pay our bills when, when the registration money comes in. 
uh, no, you're not. Because when that registration money, if you're counting on it, something's going to happen. Right. You know, <laughs> it's just the way that it is. But you know, putting on races are, uh, you know, it's a crapshoot. You're you're gambling, but you know, the ones that gamble well, uh, or at least the ones that um, you know are well prepared to weather those challenges, you know, just like the one the challenge we have now, are the ones that are going to come out on the other side and, and be successful. So in the in the military, we have a saying, you know, don't complain about a problem in, unless you have a solution. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to get to that in a minute. But the you know the question I kind of set out to answer at the beginning of this podcast was, is OCR dead? And the answer is, after talking to you, I think the answer is no. Um, mm-hmm. Will it change in the next couple of years? I think the answer is yes. It's changing right now. I mean, you know, every, every year I'm like, oh, no, this is sad. This is the way OCR is going to be until I'm an old man. And then it's like, you know, Warrior Dash goes out of business. Battlefire goes out of business. Tough Mudder goes out of business. Tough Mudder's reborn, you know, and it's like constant changing. And yep. I think yeah, in my mind, I'm always like, oh, yeah, this is kind of how it's going to be. You know, tough, Toughest Mudder goes from eight hours for two years and it's televised for a year, eight hours, not televised for a year, eight hours, 12 hours not televised like year to year to year it's changed every year right. well, I, never thought, I never thought televised uh, televising these races was ever a thing I, really, I never thought so either but I, I i could not believe they were like we're gonna televise an eight hour overnight race i was like that's a terrible idea how are you gonna get camera crews how are you gonna get any yeah. good footage i mean it's eight hours of feet yeah. i mean people are multi-lapping you know so it's like yeah. ah yeah I um so in in my book I covered the the origins of, of obstacle course racing and a, you know a big piece of it was you know Mark Burnett before he did um, Survivor he did um, he used to film the um, the X Games he was an X Games producer and uh, um, was uh, responsible for um, the adventure racing people most people don't realize that adventure racing was part of the X Games back in the very beginning and um, I want to say like early 90s i think they stopped in like well anyways i'm, I'm gonna screw the dates up but yeah adventure racing was um was was part of the x games and it was awesome the only problem is it's impossible to film i mean it, obstacle course racing is bad enough adventure racing there's no set course there's people all over the damn place and um you know they, i never ever thought like i thought battle frogs um, format was great i i honestly I, Pat myself on the back. I really like the format from from OCR Warrior. Um, we we speci- I built the course a specific way to make people go you know forward and backwards through the obstacles, primarily for the filming aspect of it. You know, I wanted to be able. You know, it's hard enough to have a cameraman uh, run along with with everyone and have cameras strategically placed over our entire course. Um, you saw with um, with Battle Frogs when they did the college championship. You know how difficult it was to have you know. A, have the camera coverage at every single obstacle, um, you know, and the start and finish line. So we, you know, with, anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm totally patting myself on the back, but anyways, we created OCR Warrior to be able to be filmed. And that was what, 350 yards? Yeah, it was so, short. Yeah, so when you talk about, t- you know, tougher mutter or toughest mutter, I mean, come on. Wow, how on earth is that something that's going to play out well? I'll tell you, for Spartans coverage this last year, being web-based, I thought that was fine because you can come and go. You can sit at your computer and kind of watch it. Um, yeah. I thought it was awesome trying to see uh, when Ryan was trying to run down John there at the end. Um, that was that was compelling. That was the most compelling I've ever seen. Um, you know, uh, non-live 
obstacle course racing. Yeah, that was good. And they, uh, if anyone wants to see OCR Warrior, you can still find <laughs> it on YouTube. And yeah, then yeah. it was funny. You also mentioned X Games. I have another article on Mudrun Guide from a couple of years ago uh, that talks about OCR. You know, people always want to talk about OCR going to the Olympics, but I'd make a, you know, a, a fair point for arguing that OCR would be a better fit for the X Games. Yeah, no, I, I don't. Disagree. I don't disagree with you. I think you know you see sports like um, like the Ultimate Tag and thing, and you know, even the Titan Games, and you know, uh, of course, American Ninja Warrior. And you say, all right, in order for it to be something that can be really compelling for TV, it's got to be. It's got to be short. You know, it's yep. got to be tight and hard and difficult. And um, you know, I, you were you, you were you on American Ninja Warrior also? I've not been on, not yet. Yeah, I've, not apply, I've not applied yet. I'll, yeah, I'll get around to it at some point. It's it. Yeah, it, you know, it's fun. I was in season six. It's a show. You know, it's a show. You kind of forget it's a show first. But that being said, um, and I was thrilled to be to be on it. Actually, I was on it with uh, with Evan and uh, and Casey and Brent. So it was kind of they they totally. By the way, they totally got me on the show. I'm positive. About that. <laughs> but um, the. Even American Ninja Warrior, and I hate to say this out loud because they're a good part of what we do with Butter and Guy, but I, I don't watch it anymore because it feels like, you know, it's it's really just the same story. I don't watch American Idols because the, the background story is just to seem to get longer and longer. I, I want to see performance. I don't really want to see, you know, too much of the backstory. I like it, but there comes a point when I've had enough of it. And um, American Ninja Warrior for me ended up becoming, you know, 60% backstory and 40% action. I mean, I agree. I agree. I think they've gone off the deep end with backstory. And I've talked about this in the podcast before, but you know, I think if you just take the top athletes, you'll find they, they everyone has got something interesting about them. Every right. single person, well, right? You, like, right? You can yeah. find, you can find interesting backstories in, in top athletes. It's called adding depth to them. You don't have to find yeah. the backstory first and yeah. then force someone who's never trained to run a course. I think it's yeah. completely yeah. preposterous, but yeah, it's, 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 yeah it, it is what it is. Sometimes they'll do that. So the, the reason why the, the, there's such a delay is a lot of times they'll do that afterwards. They'll, they'll produce that package afterwards. So they, just to give a little bit of you know, background, you go the day before and they produce a kind of on-the-spot package uh, for you. And if they think that there's you know, really more potential in your backstory, and if you do – decent enough you at least last a, f a few more obstacles than i lasted um a lot of times they'll do they'll, you know they'll come to your house afterwards and they'll film you at home so when you see them filming people at home that's not before the event that's after the event yeah 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 but, all right so back back when i was before we got sidetracked right. again you know let's say i told you i would do this yeah <laughs> so like i said you know I don't like complaining. I like presenting solutions. So let's talk solutions. So what, you know, OCR is, the, the industry is definitely taking a hit. The existing brands are definitely going to take a hit or are take, in the process of taking a hit from, from the COVID epidemic, right? So, you know, if you're a company, what can you do to survive uh, this period over the next like two years? And then if you're, let's go through it on the, also if you're a participant, like what can we do to get the more people out to the races. So I guess go with sure. the backside first. So if you're an owner or well, a industry. And so guy. I think, you know, we've seen a lot of the races do this virtual thing. And I'm going to jump on a soapbox real quick if you don't mind. Uh, but the virtual thing is, is all fine and dandy. Uh, you know, I think it's a great way for people to show their support for the brands that they love. Totally awesome. You know, um, 
it's just shy of people dumping money and saying, hey, we're going to donate 50 bucks to um, Savage Race because we think they're awesome. Now, there's two ways to do it. One is, well, there's three ways to do it, I guess. One is you buy tickets for next year. Now, a lot of these races don't have future events open, so you can't do that. So step two is you sign up for one of their virtual races, um, which is awesome because virtual races are, are really good for races that have already bought their medals. And this is going to tie into one of the things I'm going to bitch about in a minute. But if you're a race and you already bought your medals for 2020, well, it's for 2020. Um, I almost said 19. But if you um, if you already bought your medals and t-shirts, this races like Spartan and Savage and everybody else, they buy metal, these medals in bulk. They've bought these medals. These medals have been sitting in, in a warehouse or a garage or whatever for months and months and months and months. These were tens of thousands of dollars, probably more than that, Spartan, hundreds of thousands, but tens of thousands of dollars that was spent before one person registered. Well, maybe I just hyperbole. Before the majority of people registered, <laughs> that money was already spent. Those T-shirts were already printed. The medals were already done. You know, so those things are hard costs, and ones that have dates on it. Well, guess what, brother? They are worthless next year. They are boat eaters. Um, speaking of, I have um, maybe I don't know a quarter of a ton worth of medals from the OCR, U.S. OCR championships. I use um, I fill sandbags with the medals. <laughs> so the medals I'm using because we paid. Yeah, God knows how much we paid a piece for those things. Um, and we were left with a couple thousand of them. So, um, so if you're a Savage Race and you dumped all this money into you know, your awesome t-shirts and your awesome medals for 2020 and suddenly you don't have a race, well, that's all going to go to waste. You can't melt them down and reuse them, yada, yada, yada. So having a, um, having a virtual race is an excellent way for you to be able to sell those medals to people that want them, essentially. Because... Are they, it's a virtual race. Are you doing anything? Well, maybe, maybe you're really serious about it. That's awesome. Um, maybe you're not, but you signed up for it. You're, you're getting a medal and a t-shirt. So that part alone, even if you don't want to do it, if you want to support, and I'll keep saying Savage Race because they're doing a good job of it, but um, um, Bonefrog has one. Um, Rugged, Rugged's got some great um, prizes they're giving, or swag they're giving out. Um, obviously Spartan has, has one as well. Oh, I missed this. I mean, there's a handful of them. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, uh, Fit Challenge. Um, did CTG didn't do it, did they? They did not, no. But, I mean, if, if people want a full list, Motor and Guide has the entire – Oh, that's right. Like, updated, I like, on a weekly basis. I forgot about – yeah, Bonnie's been I'm gonna plug your. I'm going to plug your website for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bonnie's been updating that constantly. But, um, anyways, so um, way number one is to register for, uh, for events coming up. Number two is to sign up for the virtuals. And that really, guys, you are buying their T-shirt and medal and, and get, getting them out of the red because those T-shirts and medals are going to be thrown out by the thousands. So that is a huge help. And then number three is to, um, is to, to uh, step up and buy their merch. If they have a merch store, buy as much. This put it this way. You're probably going to spend uh, over the last few months. I mean, granted, everyone's business is what it is, and everybody's income is what it is. But you were probably going to spend a couple hundred dollars, or at least one hundred and fifty dollars, on some race registrations. So 
um, these guys are relying, if you want Savage to be there, and I keep saying Savage just because <laughs> there's no, you know, there, I, there's no danger of Savage going anywhere. Don't, don't, don't read into this. I'm just saying this because they, they did a real good, real good job about this. And people did a real, uh, athletes did a really good job about helping them out. But if you want Savage to be around on down the road, then, then buy some merch, buy a t-shirt. You know, you didn't spend the $150 on a, on a registration. And a lot of times you look at those shirts and you're like, damn, if I, if I didn't spend so much money on the reg, maybe I'd buy a couple of those t-shirts. Well, no, now is the time to buy the t-shirts. So those are the, uh, the, the three biggest ways I see to supporting races. But there's one thing, and I mentioned, I, I needed to jump on my, uh, my soapbox about. There's one thing that drives me insane is uh, I taught, just spent five minutes talking about how important these uh, virtual races are for um, races, for race companies to get rid of their, you know, their inventory of metals, for them to just try to make, you know, pennies on the dollar back for all that money they spent. The people over the last few months that absolutely positively, with unequivocally, unequivocally um, drive me in, insane are the people that don't have a race. The people that, you know, that didn't have a race to begin with, putting on virtual races. Um, and, you know, I, I, I get all the emails, so I see hundreds of them. But, you know, if, if you didn't have a race to begin with, and you're thinking that this is a good time for you to put on a virtual race, honestly, in my opinion, you're stealing money away from, uh, you know, away from uh, races that need that money. Um, that really drives me insane. You don't think that I could put a, you know, Mudrun Guide lost a lot of income as well. You don't think that I could put a, put a um, you know, a virtual, I'm a race director. I can put a virtual race on right now. The reason why we didn't do that for Mother and Guide was because the races that actually need to make their money back are the ones that I want to support. I'm not going to go out there and promote Mother and Guide putting on a virtual event. And I'm, I'm not speaking to anyone, anyone specific in particular. There are you know dozens, dozens. Of There's dozens of that I see on a, on a regular basis. But when they when a race comes from nowhere, it's like oh this virtual event like. No, no, you're jumping on a bandwagon and you're taking away hard-earned, you know, uh, money from these races that really need it. So support your races. If you see a virtual out there from, you know, from one of the races, race brands that you like or one that you've always wanted to get involved with, let's just say, um, let's, let's say you are in Omaha, Nebraska. And you've always wanted to do a savage race. <laughs> I'm hitting savage race again, but you know Sam, now Sam, should... Sam's got to start paying you. Uh... I know, right? I know. <laughs> I like Sam a lot, but now is the now is the time for you to get your savage race medal because this is the only chance you're ever going to get. So you know, if you're if you're in you know Saskatchewan and you want a savage race medal, by all means participate in their in their their virtual. Now they're worldwide. So that being said, um, I, I really, I'm not a huge fan of virtuals, but I understand exactly why they exist. And this is the, this is the first time that I can honestly point to a, a, a reason and say, this is why you need to support virtuals for your races. So, yeah, I wrote an article. I'm not sure if you read all my articles that I write for your website. Um, I know there's an editor in chief who usually uh, screens them and posts them, but you know, you, you touched on several things. I wrote an article called Supporting Brands in 2020. Yeah. And you touched on several yeah. things. You touched yeah. on the buy merchandise. You touched on sign up for races or sign up for a future race. Um, sign up for a virtual run. And I'm going to read a quote from my own article. And it yeah. says, uh, 
If you are solely signing up for companies that put on virtual races only, you're sending the demand signal. You just want virtual races and not real races. Hey, I love it. Um, I definitely did read the article and I just figured all of those points I brought up, I just stole from you. So and then the other, <laughs> the other I said that with, if this was video, I said that with a straight face the entire time. No, I did actually I did I did read that, that okay. article. I think that we are definitely on the same page. Yeah, and then and then the other two, the ones you didn't mention were, you know, make sure you bring some friends. You know, the, there's, we always have those people who are like you work with who are like, oh yeah, I want to do one of those one day. Well, you know, I think now is the time to start dragging your family and friends off the couch because if you don't, the brand you love may not be around again in the future. Yeah, that was one of the great lines that you that you put in there at the end. I, I, and I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. You know, it's not hard to put on a fitness. Um, you know, fitness challenge with your friends either. And now you've got a medal at the end of the, the competition. Yeah, uh, I know Amy Padgett's been doing virtual, like she did a virtual Savage, she did a virtual CTG where like she set up a bunch of obstacles that mimic a lot of the stuff you'd encounter on the course. Yeah. And she, she even had a fire jump at the end, which was just like- Oh, I, thought, uh, I didn't see that. Oh. It, it, was, it was a bunch of logs and then like construction paper fire like stacked okay. next to each other. Awesome. So it's pretty uh, yeah. funny. And she had like a little yeah. display stand at the end with like a bunch of medals that oh, she was giving out. Magic, magic is just such an awesome person. I, uh, I dig her so much. She's so awesome. And then the, the last comment, the, the last bullet point that was actually in that article was, you know, like, share, and comment on people's posts, like the race companies that you enjoy. Comment yeah. on their posts and like them and share them because that kind of boosts it up into the, you know, Facebook's algorithm and how much it shows in people's feed. You know, and especially sharing. Um, and then when you, when you share something, don't just share it. Like share it and then put, you know, oh, I really love Savage Race because blah, 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 blah. Otherwise, it just looks like another ad and um, that – goes through people's feeds so yeah no i i actually uh, agree with everything that you said and that's the point that we're going to decide because this is you know yeah it's probably going to be a year before we have figured out what the races are going to be and i don't even want to say go back to normal because you know i nobody knows what normal is and i can't stand the phrase new normal normal is what normal is. <laughs> what normal is what normal is there's no new normal there's no old normal everything changes from from you know from day to day anyways um, once we can go out and, and, and figure this out by actively participating in it, um, that's when we're gonna gonna have a better idea how long it's gonna be the way that it is. That being said, uh, I, I heard just about nothing negative. Uh, I, I can't even point to anything negative at all. So 0, 0.0 negative feedback from uh, from Spartans Jacksonville event. So yeah. I, I love hearing that. You know that's that's awesome. Uh, I think people are just happy to get back out on the course. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think they're, they're great. They're grateful. You know, you don't realize how good it is something you have until it's taken away from you. And then right. when you get it back for just a little bit, you're like, Oh, I'm so grateful. I have this back in my life. So yeah. I, I, I'm hoping that that happens. You know, uh, I think, you know, if you, if you're doing the things like you outlined in your article and we talked about and you're supporting races and you know, you're supporting, uh, you know, the, the brands that you love, I think I really, honestly, I think we'll be fine. I think we're going to have to figure out what the way forward is. And I think even while we're doing that, you know, we're going to be, you know, walking around in the dark a little bit, feeling our way through. And eventually we're going to get to a point where the races are what the races are. And there will be, and then obstacle course racing 2.0 will take off from that point. But I'll, I'll be honest, I think the sport needed a shake. This is not a positive lining. I am not. <laughs> Just overlining here. 
But the sport needed a little bit of a, of a shakeup. This was a horrible way to force it. Um, so there's, I'm not, like I said, not trying to shine some light on a positive here. But, you know, I think when we do come out of this, there's, it's going to you know, have changed. And I'm, I'm hoping that that changes for the better. Gotcha. Well, Brett, thanks for your input. And it's kind of funny side note, you mentioned, um, you know, about the, putting the race year on the medals. Actually, for OCR America this year, my wintertime one, I purposely didn't put the year on because I was worried we would just get completely snowed out from day one. So I was like, uh, don't put a year on it. Just, just, just send it as is. And, um, That's smart thing to do. I always put the year on, um, I put the year on the, uh, the ribbon, uh, the, the ribbon because yeah, yeah. then when I design the, uh, the medals, I make sure that the, uh, either a we've got Velcro for the lanyards or B I've got a slot in the, uh, and it's funny because I'm sitting, I'm sitting here right now. I've got a, 2014 gold medal from the OCR World Championships in my hand. Um, we're actually, I'm, I'm, I'm building a guitar um, for an auction and we're putting that in there. So the funny part is I've got this sitting in my hand and the, the ribbon has the, or the lanyard has the date on it, which is brilliant. Um, but the metal itself, the lanyard is sewed shut, but the metal itself has this tiny little difficult to access slot for you to pull out the uh, the, the uh, uh, lanyard and replace it with a new one. So between 2014 and 15, actually at the 2015 event, uh, my wife Kristen and Brian Chumler's wife Heather sat there and along with um, with uh, who else? Um, um, Rich Land was up there and Sandra were up there in one of the cabins and they had. Uh, thousand medals, 2000 medals, but they had to take off all of the 2014 lanyards and put on 2015 lanyards. And, uh, yeah, but yeah. I'm happy to still have one of these 2014s here in my hand, but that's, that's, that's brilliant to not have the year on the medal. But the only problem is if you're doing a t-shirt, usually you'll have the year on the t-shirt. Um, unless you have that fourth one as well, but yeah. anyways, I, mean, so. I was doing, I doing a one-off event. So I, I'm, was running on the cheap there and it's a charity event. So the idea was to spend as little money as possible and Absolutely. allow for flexibility for the future. That's the way to now, go. I really dig the fact that you do so much for Folds of Honor. Oh, thank you. The, you know, for those of you who are interested in getting back to racing, the Midwest seems to be, um, based off government and local restrictions, seems to be a lot looser and based off population density, you know, the, it logically makes more sense. So there are races that are actually going on in the Midwest. There was a, uh, Dauntless Primal Assault, uh, May 30th, was in Oklahoma. They're doing another Dauntless event in July, end of July. Um, there was a Ridge Run in Iowa. Um, KCOCR did their own like kind of little local event, which uh, normally I wouldn't even consider a race because I didn't have to pay, but there was actually <laughs> some good competition. And like I won a uh, 10 punch pass to ROKC Climbing Gym in Olathe, which is like, worth $155, which is freaking awesome for an event that I didn't pay for. So um, <laughs> that's where me and my daughter have been going and uh, kids under f six climb free. My daughter's five. So we've been, uh, we went last week. We're going to go tomorrow as of this recording. <laughs> and, you know, because, uh, although then this coming weekend, basically right as this podcast airs, there is wild women timber challenge. Casey timber challenge is the permanent obstacle course facility in Bonner Springs, Kansas. So Kansas city, and they do a women's race only except the, you can run if you're in drag. So I will be at the uh, women's race running in drag to get some 
obstacle proficiency down and having a good time. I know some of my female friends are going too, so it should be, uh, it should be a pretty fun event. Hmm. And then I'm, I'm looking at photos of you in your, uh, your Wonder Woman outfit. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not an attractive Wonder Woman. You, 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 you are not an attractive woman. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, you know, I think with all those events going on, you know, for me personally, I'm a, did, obviously did, I'm a, did you really shave your legs? Oh yeah. Well, I, it's triathlon carryover, right? So, <laughs> I, so I still shave my arms and legs because of triathlon when I race. Oh, yeah. are. It's I, just I, like, I shaved my legs for Ironman and that was it. I was like, there's never, I will never shave my legs again. So my first article for Mud Run Guide is about shaving your body. So if anyone wants to go uh, Google that, you can find it. But oh it makes me, f- I feel faster. I feel like I run faster. You know, it makes, it makes no sense because I'm shaving off like an ounce of uh, hair. <laughs> but it, um, it's, it, you do understand that it was only for aqua dynamics, not for aerodynamics. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> but uh, all right. But if I'm running with this big bear coat of fur and I go into a water obstacle, now I've got all this water on me. Now you come out of you come out with uh, no body hair, you dry off real quick. And I'll tell you, I'll you know nor, for normal racing it doesn't really matter. I'll tell you for toughest mudder, it it did matter because I would come out of water obstacles and water would just fall off my body, yeah. and I would I would be dry because uh, I'd be shirtless and I had no body hair. And you know people are running in wetsuits and I'm still shirtless and I'm like, hmm. okay, well uh, you know hey you don't have you don't have to you know. Uh, Explain it to me. I, I, I love you however you are. So, so anyway, where I was going before we, again, we got sidetracked was Conquer the Gauntlet looks like it's going to be a go for their events. So August 1st, Iowa, and then August 22nd is Conquer the Gauntlet, Wichita. What's unique about that is we're doing Conquer the Gauntlet, Wichita, Saturday morning. Uh, Toughest Mudder Virtual is Saturday night, starting at 8 p.m. Central Time. And a bunch of us that are going to Wichita are just going to get a hotel in Wichita, and we're going to run toughest virtual from a hotel in Wichita, which I will publish a date and I will publish. A, I'm sorry, a location for it at a later time. So if anyone's looking for an an actual race followed by a virtual race all in the same weekend, come to Conquer the Gauntlet Wichita because we're going to have a good oh, time. And with, yeah, all those people that have to do that along with you, I feel better. Yeah, <laughs> with you know, you don't have to you don't have to do continuum. You can just do regular CTG and then do a toughest mutter. And then when we do toughest mutter again, I'm not we're not running competitively. We're just gonna log some miles. I'm sure a bunch of people are gonna be drinking beers and eating whatever whatever garbage we like to eat. So it should be a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, I think we've rambled on for long enough. Before we go, Brett, any final uh, shout outs or words of wisdom you want to pass along? No, um, no, I, I, I'm going to go back to building guitars. Um, while, while during this whole pandemic, I, uh, I, I started my passion of building electric guitars. So I spun up a business called Punk Daddy Guitars. So that's what I've been doing. Um, yeah, it's been awesome. <laughs> if you want to check out any of the goofy stuff that I'm building when I'm not building obstacles, just check out uh, Punk Daddy Guitars on Facebook or go to punkdaddyguitars.com. Um, we've got one build coming up that's uh, for the OCR World Championships, or at least kind of reminiscent of the OCR World Championships. I also have um, have a guitar that I'm working on getting approval to build for um, Operation Enduring Warrior uh, for Eric Schmidt's family. So um, yeah, so check out what I'm what I'm doing. I hope to see you guys and gals all out at the races sooner rather than later awesome absolutely and for our listeners again you can head over to teamstrengthspeed.com 
We have uh, Mud Run Guide's Ultimate OCR Bucket List on there. lists a bunch of races that are all across the U.S., uh, both ones that have gone out of business and ones that are still ongoing that you can cross off your bucket list. That, Like we said, I'd start crossing them off sooner rather than later yeah. to support the industry. I've got Mud Run Guide's uh, Ultra OCR Bible, which is, I think, my personal favorite uh, book that I've written. <laughs> um, that's a more of an instruction manual. And then Brett wrote the intro to ultra OCR man, uh, which is on hard copy, audible and digital now. And then I just released CTG protein workouts to go on Amazon. So it's a digital book only. And basically it's a list of 75 plus workouts. So it's, I think it's got like 76 workouts, but some of them also are scalable. So, you know, easy, medium, advanced. So it's, it's a lot more than 75, but <laughs> and it's broken down by location. So it depends on like what you have access to for, you know, I travel a lot for work, so it's easy. You know, I'm in hotel gym. Sometimes I'm at an actual obstacle gym. Sometimes I just have a track or a treadmill. So it's kind of broken down by that. So you can actually be like, all right, well, I have access to a normal weight room or all I have is this crappy hotel room right now. Here's what I can do. That's still very obstacle specific and still gets me ready to race. And, you know, for those of you who are a little more flexible training plan, you're like, you don't want to follow here's what I do every day, but more like, here's what I want to do today. I want to do something that has to do with sandbags or I want to something that has to do with, you know, obstacle proficiency, you know, it provides you a good option. And I did the majority of the work in the book, but I also, a lot of the conquer the gauntlet pro team submitted workouts. So that's where obviously we get the name from because I use a lot of their workouts. So you'll see workouts are named after like Amy Padgett or Randy Lackey or Brenna Redby's Calvert. So um, some of the other people from the team. All right. I think that's it. Brett, thanks again for coming on. Hey, man. Uh, more than happy to talk to you anytime. Thank you for all the awesome work you've done for years with Mud Run Guy. I really appreciate you uh, as a person, as a writer, and as an athlete. So, oh, thank you, Brett. There's a reason why I wrote the intro to your book and said a lot of good things about you. I, I thank the world of you, and I appreciate everything you've done. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And we'll, uh, we'll see you soon, hopefully. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Catch you later.